The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Good morning. Hello. Hi. I'm Johnny. Uh, Would you all please stand for the reading of the word if you are able? Today we are reading Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All, All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed when you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. This is the word of the Lord. So, fam, how are you guys doing this morning? That sounds lackluster, but I'll take it. I'm, uh, I'm struggling this morning. I, uh, I got food poisoning. And there is nothing as fun as like, dear baby Jesus, please don't let me throw up all over the crowd this morning. So uh, we're going to take a moment to pray, but I would just ask, would you guys just pray for me? Because this is really hard to do under normal circumstances, but uh, the feeling like this is a difficult one. So let's, let's just start there. Father, I always need you before I step up on stage. Um, I need you when I'm studying. I need you every single moment of every day. But in this particular moment, um, Lord, may nothing that I do or feel get in the way of the truth of your scripture, the grace of your scripture, the joy of your scripture. And Father, I believe this message this morning is important for us, for those who are pursuing joy to to learn how to think and act differently in a way that brings about joy in our life. And so would you meet us uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually in this moment, all of us, and bring us to a place of complete dependence and trust on you. Thank you, Lord. Give me the energy that I need to do this well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, for those who don't know you, my name is Jared. I am one of the pastors here. It is an honor always to be here. I welcome to the Burbank location. Together with our Granada location, we make up the Story City Collective of Churches. Now, Story City exists to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. And that process of learning what it means to have healthy relationship with Jesus and others is something that we call apprenticing Jesus. Apprenticing is the word that we like to use. And so as a family, we are learning to apprentice Jesus. An apprentice is somebody that learns together hands-on while watching and doing with a master. 
And so we're learning how to have these healthy relationships with Jesus and people so that we can be healthy disciples or apprentices and, uh, of Jesus and help others to do the same. That's a part of what we're called to. Now, one thing that's important for us to understand is that Sundays are actually not about us. Did you know that? Yes. And yet, how many times, I can tell you this, have I walked into a Sunday and been like, I just need me some Jesus because I'm feeling bad and so I'm here to get what I need to get. But the reality is, is that we're here to give what we need to give. And the beauty of Jesus is that we get what we get because of who Jesus is. And so we're always going to receive because Jesus is an incredibly generous God, as we've been talking about. And so part of what we have to understand is it's not, it's, it's so opposite of the world that we live in where it's like, I got to get mine. I got to get mine. In Christianity, here's a church we're trying to learn. I got to give away because God is always going to make sure that we have what we need. And so Sundays are not about us. They're when we come together to worship God through prayer, through worship, through giving, through learning that glorifies him, not us. And we say that every week that we, we're all of worship is about giving away. And that's because Jesus is the hero of the story, not us. Jesus is the hero of the story. It's his grace, his power, his name we promote, not ours. And that's important. It's the only reason we can stand and deliver God's word is because of his strength, not us. And so we're going to celebrate who he is. Today's a joyful day. There's a reason in Lent that you're allowed Sundays or cheat days, in case you didn't know this, right? It's because it's a celebratory day. We're celebrating today together, uh, and then we go back into the world that we're working in, in Jesus' name. And so here's what I want to say. For those who have no idea what I'm talking about right now, that's okay. Uh, for those who are wondering if you'll ever have a place to belong, welcome. Welcome to those who are hurt, and welcome to those of you who have done the hurting, Welcome to those who are spiritually healthy and welcome to those that are spiritually dead. Your story is welcome here. And speaking in, of welcome here, I do want to take just a quick moment to acknowledge a little family business. There's some special people here. They have completed our membership course and signed the covenant of membership. They've promised to become healthy apprentices of Jesus, to be fully committed and engaged with Story City as they contribute to God's work in and through our family to be generous to the point of inconvenience with their gifts, talents, abilities, resources, finances, and time. And they truly desire God to work in and through them to create healthy relationships with Jesus and others, to support and engage how Story City carries out God's mission. Now, this family is a big deal because they've made these commitments not only to God, but to everybody who attends and to the community around us. And so we want to celebrate with them. So if you just completed the membership course and you signed the covenant, would you please stand so we can celebrate you this morning? Don't be shy. It's important for us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for loving our family so well. For those of you who have been jump, or those of you who are jumping into our series uh, in the middle, you've you've just come. We've been talking about how God helps us to pursue joy, to fight for a heart and attitude of joy. But he doesn't leave us alone in this. He gives us the Holy Spirit and his church to help us do it. True biblical joy shapes uh, who we are because it comes out of who God is and what God has done and who that makes us. And now we know what we're to do because of that flow. When we understand that, we understand that that our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It doesn't come from something we manufacture. It comes from who God is, and God is consistent. God is full of joy, and so it's an important thing for us to start 
that way. Now, last week, Pastor Justin talked about how instead of handling difficult times with grumbling and complaining, we find joy by pursuing intentional gratitude, that we find ways to say thank you, we find places to be grateful for. I'll tell you, it is so hard in the midst of pain and trial and struggle to be grateful, but something amazing happens in our hearts when we do. It's, it's, it's incredible how it transforms us. It's almost like the Bible knows what it's talking about. So today we're going to see what comes after surrender. For those taking notes today, this is the big idea. We pursue joy by giving away. It makes sense. It follows surrender. We pursue joy by giving away. We're going to see this morning how we pursue joy through inconvenient generosity. You should hear that word a lot around here. That we pursue inconvenient generosity by trusting God's character. And that we learn to trust God's character through scripture, prayer, and gospel community. Okay, so let's go back and remind ourselves of today's scripture, chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not the interests of Jesus. But you know his proven character. Because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he had been longing for all of you and had been, well, and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also to me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, to send him, to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So as a reminder, uh, Epaphroditus has come from uh, Philip uh, come from uh, yeah Philippi, and uh, Paul is imprisoned. He's under twenty four hour house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. He has to pay all his own expenses, food, everything to be a prisoner. And so uh, the church in Philippi has uh, sent this messenger with money to care for Paul and say, hey, here's this is what you're going to need to to pay for food, to survive, to get ink and parchment, and all the stuff that you're doing. And so, and to encourage him and to give him news of the church. Here's what's happening. And so this is an exciting moment because, you know, it's not like they can send a text message, hey, hope you're well, here's some Apple cash. Uh, they, they had to like show up and actually do the work and be there for him. And he's, he's excited about this, but it almost costs Epaphroditus his life. And so Paul's like, man, this was a great, great deal. I, I'd love to, to, to send him back to you healthy. I'm glad that he's alive Um, I really didn't want the stress of having him, you know, give everything as he came here and then pass away because of it. And so I'm really looking forward to to ease your guys' mind by sending him there. But I'm also looking forward to having Timothy go there so that I can get the same news back, right? So I can send him, he can get word, and he can come back and tell us what's going on. Now, what's interesting is right before this section, okay? Now, this section is a little weird because it's like you got a guy coming, you got somebody he might send, and then... You know, you're talking about like what they do and the work of the Lord and it's kind of like what, what the heck is this passage really talking about? And I think it's a model for us. It's, it's showing us something. It's a picture for us. And we understand this picture better when we understand right before this 
that Paul tells the church in Philippi that even if all of his life, all of his being, all of who he is, is poured out like a drink offering, that if they're consumed in the work of the Lord, if it costs him his life, right? He doesn't know if he's going to be executed or not. If what he is doing leads to his death, and he says, I gave everything, I left it all in the field, he would still rejoice and want them to rejoice over it. Why? Because even as Paul is awaiting the trial that may lead to his execution, he is really proud of the work that he has done in the name of the Lord. All that he's given and sacrificed to see God's work done in them and now through them. See, Paul actually values God's kingdom over even his own life. And so he's like, look, I I don't know the outcome. I, I have to trust God for those things. But as I give away, Lord, I'm so thankful that at least I'm doing what I can to be obedient because I believe that your mission is greater and in more importance than myself. In verses 19 to 30, we see the continuation of that thought because now Paul is encouraging them to live their lives in the same sacrifice that he has. And now he's showing him practical examples of it. I don't know about you, but I'm a guy who uh, uh, picks a hobby and I go all in. Anybody else like me? Like all the way in, right? Like I, I'm not about anything else while I'm that. And I'm, I, am, I don't want to just know about it. I want to understand it completely. Like if, if, if I go in, I go in. And so one of the ones that I have enjoyed uh, until the last couple of years uh, is scuba diving. I really enjoyed scuba diving. I think there's something very special about it. Uh, I don't know. It's quiet, right? Uh, not a lot of quiet in life, especially as a pastor, right? Uh, if your job involves listening, it's very nice to have some quiet sometimes. Yeah, see? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and you mothers are saying the same thing. <laughs> like, if I could just get two minutes, I would be ten times better. Look, the, the reality is, is that I fell in love with scuba diving, and I happen to have, I happen to have, a, a master dive instructor in my church, my last pastorate, okay? And so he was like, hey, if you're interested, I would love to help you. Now, what I love about this guy is it wasn't like a cursory, yeah, like I'll help you. He so loved scuba diving, and that's why he was an instructor, that he loved seeing people fall in love with it too. And so on his own time, this guy, Ben, helped me like prep for the class. He helped me look at the different courses. He's like, don't worry. I'll teach you everything you need to know. You can go to the class, but I, I got you. I'm going to help you understand. I'm going to give you all of my expertise. And so he would, you know, he would just constantly teach me, help me learn aside from the class. Once we got into the actual dive portion, then um, I would buy, you know, whatever gear that I could buy, I could afford. And, uh, and he'd come by and be like, hey, let me see that. And he would take my cheap beginner gear and he would replace it with his own personal gear that was expensive. And he'd be like, here, you're going to have this. And I'd be like, why? He's like, well, I, I have a ton of it, but this is the best you can have. I want you to have the best because I want you to enjoy this. Uh, he, would, he would teach diving all day and then he would get after work. He's like, hey, meet me at the beach here. We're going to go on a special dive. I want to show you something. And he would just pour his experience and his time with me. We went through basic, we went through advanced, and we were halfway through master before his uh, career forced him to move. Uh, that's the benefit of being in a military town <laughs> or in L.A. People move all the time. But he did all of that at great cost personally, at great, ta- great cost to him in his time, in his patience. Um, just, he, he just, it was inconvenient for him 
to constantly have to answer questions and to, to be looking at gear and to be trying to, you know, keep up with a beginner when he wants to do stuff because he's just trying to enjoy it himself. But he was so in love with it, he was happy to help me, even if it required a ton of sacrifice. This brings us to, I think, exactly what Paul's trying to show us today. So those taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. We pursue joy through inconvenient generosity. We pursue joy through inconvenient generosity. Now we see three primary examples of this inconvenient generosity and sacrifice in today's passage. The first is obviously Paul. We know he's been pouring his life out. The second is Paul and Timothy together. And then finally we see the story of Epaphroditus. Look at the language in verse 17. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service, excuse me, of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. This isn't something Paul just does. It's who Paul is. You guys know the difference, right? We can do something or we can be about something. If we do something, it's just something that we can practice or we carry out every once in a while. But if we're about it, our entire life bends around it. It becomes something that we can't help but think through and think about. It comes out of us when we're not even thinking about it because it's who we are. And so Paul's a person who gives away consistently and constantly, even though it's at great personal cost and is always accomplished at an inconvenience to what he's trying to accomplish. Paul's like, I'm trying to plant churches, but I keep getting shipwrecked. You know, I'm trying to spread the gospel, but then I get stoned by some dudes or, or the idol makers are rioting and they, they're, they're, you know, so upset over their loss of income because now people are following Jesus. You know, all the small things that we deal with on a daily basis. But even now, in prison, under house arrest, Timothy is the one that's transcribing these letters. We know this because Paul says, see how I'm writing. He ends his letter. See how I'm writing in my own hand. Look how large the script is. Like he, We know that he got hit in the head with rocks a bunch of times, right? He probably has got some issues. It's hard, but, but Timothy's writing stuff for him. Timothy's taking care of him. Timothy's the one that can leave the house and get stuff done. You know, shopping doesn't come to Paul. Somebody has to do that for him. And so Paul despite the fact that he needs Timothy, is willing to send the very best of what he has at great personal cost with the sure result of inconvenience to himself. Then he goes, I'm going to send Timothy. I would love to send Timothy to the church in Philippi. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says, for I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. That word like-minded means most like myself. Most like myself. It means most aligned with my heart. It means most beneficial to me as I go about God's mission. Paul is not just talking about, hey, I'll loan Timothy to you for a while. Paul is literally saying, it could be like Epaphrodites, he could die. So literally, Paul is saying, hey, I, I can't wait to send Timothy to you. But with the sort of generous heart that is like, and if I don't get him back, it's okay. I'm giving away. I'm giving away. Look at Epaphroditus. The church in Philippi needed to deliver the money to Paul to pay his expenses and encourage and assist him. He would have also been expected to give a report about what the church was and to get Paul's feedback to take back to them. But this required the journey to where Paul was imprisoned, right? Which is dangerous. You can get robbed. It takes time. It, uh, it takes money. It's a risk to his own safety. And so Epaphroditus does, as a matter of fact, get sick, sick to the point of death, and they almost lose him. This journey was not an easy one. It's a lot of responsibility, but it also takes a huge physical toll. Not only was he clearly willing to go, 
But now he's excited about going back and providing the report. He's going to continue the work. I'm sure that it would have been more convenient for him to be like, hey, if I could just, if I could just take off now, I'll go recover at home and be a lot better, right? But, but he knows that he's bringing joy to Paul by bringing the, the information back, by passing on Paul's stuff. He knows he's going to be welcomed back to his family. He knows that he's brought joy by bringing the gift. And so he's going to complete this work even at great personal cost to himself. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is why is Paul so willing to give away the best that he had? For those taking notes, this brings us to the second observation for the day. We pursue inconvenient generosity by trusting in God's character. Trusting, that's right, hallelujah. Paul is inconveniently generous, I think, for two primary reasons. One, he believes Jesus when Jesus said it's better to give than receive. That's that's something that he just wholeheartedly goes, okay, if Jesus said it, I believe it. it's better to give away than it is to receive. And Paul also knows that God is his true provider, that God is his true provider. Jesus himself says in Matthew 6, 30 to 33, it says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown on the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, what do we eat or what do we drink or what do we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Jesus continues, this is the Sermon on the Mount, he continues just a few chapters later, in chapter 7, 9 to 12, and he says, Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, you also do the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Family, when we actually believe, here's the problem. I'm an unbeliever and so are you. That's the problem. That there, it's, it's not black and white. It's not like I, I fully understand it and I'm all in on God all the time or I'm not. There's these areas of our life that are still being turned over to God, that God still has to work in us, that he has to draw out his character and his nature to fix the image that's been broken. And as God restores those areas, they become areas that are able to trust again. But for now, it's, it's not 100%, right? We can't be. We're not perfect. And so this process of making us there is a process of healing our unbelief. And as he heals our unbelief family, we have to understand there's a lot of areas we don't truly believe God. And one of the age-old areas is that God will take care of us. This is the problem in Genesis. Adam and Eve said, Satan says, hey, you can be like God. He's withholding from you. He's withholding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's not giving you everything. And they go, you know what? You're right. Our plan to take care of ourselves, God isn't going to give us everything that we need. We need to do what we need to do so that we have what we need and we're going to take care of ourselves because our way is better. That is originally what that sin was all about. It's about control. And here, look, we do the exact same thing today. We don't trust that the one who really understands and knows us, the one who knows what we need, the one who gives us everything, then here's the problem. Then we're afraid to give away because we, we have fear of not having what we need. And Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus are living out this like, God, you're going to provide. And they believe it in a way that I think we struggle with. 
that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do. This portion of scripture, Paul doesn't write this to make himself look good, but to show us what it means to truly apprentice Jesus as we live out the gospel. Do we believe the gospel that as apprentices of Jesus, we have been made new and are now co-heirs with Christ, adopted sons and daughters of the living God? If that's true, then we are sojourners and travelers here who don't belong in the world the way the others do, and yet we're called to love the world in the way that God called us to, to be, as my friend this morning said, ambassadors to, of God's kingdom to the world around us, that we have to love and know and understand how to work within the culture, right? That we have to be a part of the city and pray for the city and love the city to seek its welfare while modeling what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus and believing that he truly is the provider of everything and everything we have belongs to him anyway, which means we should be willing to give it away because we don't own it. And if everything belongs to him and he wants what's best for us and he always knows what we're going to need and he's going to care for us, then what does it look like to trust him? It means that we're willing to constantly go, anything that you want, anything you need is yours, God. I'm, it's, I don't own it. It's okay. Whatever you have because you will always take care of my needs. As one author writes, but you're saying to yourself, it's one thing for me to catch a glimpse of Christ's kindness, integrity, and courage from the pages of my Bible and resolve, I want to be like Jesus when I grow up. It's a very different thing to move toward such maturity in my daily struggles with impatience and worry and preoccupation with my own issues. See, we face two huge hurdles when God's word calls us to grow up in the image of our older brother Jesus. The first challenge is that when Jesus is the bar, the bar is set impossibly high. Picture a sedentary, middle-aged man watching TV from home watching an Olympic athlete win multiple gold medals and then turning to his wife and saying, you know, I'm not in shape, but tomorrow I'm going to get in shape and next, year, next four years I'm going to be in the Olympics. <laughs> right? Like that, that is so out of touch with reality that we laugh about it. And yet, the more we know about ourselves, the more we realize that that man's delusional hopes of Olympic glory are actually more achievable than our pursuit of Christ-likeness. Our text then focuses on a second problem that we encounter and a longing to grow up to be like Jesus. Unlike his apostles, we have not been able to observe how Jesus handled stress or responded to unexpected events or dealt with an unreasonable supervisor or coped with whiny kids or church members. Either way, it's, <laughs> the gospel gives us, I'm sick, you can blame it on that, I'm just... The gospel gives us glimpses of Jesus in action, he writes, in similar situations when his enemies harassed him or his friends' childish attitudes seemed to try even his patience. But still we wish that God would place into our lives today role models who we could personally watch in action. Our text teaches, however, that God does embed into our experience living, breathing replicas of Jesus, men and women whose heart instincts are growing by grace so that we can sense the heartbeat of Christ in the way they treat others, react to adversity, and invest their energies. Watching them shows us what growing up to be like Jesus looks like in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. Even though they are not yet fully grown up, Paul, and Paul will frankly admit this about himself, and we'll see in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, it says he insists that one mark of his maturity is realizing that you're not yet fully mature. But each of these men reflects Jesus to the church in Philippi and to us. And as they do, their reflection shows us what growing up looks like and why and how growing up towards the maturity of Jesus is possible. Okay. So far, 
we've talked about how we are to pursue joy through inconvenient generosity. That we pursue inconvenient generosity by trusting in God's character. But how do we learn to trust in God's character? For those taking notes today, this is our third and final observation for the day. We learn to trust God's character through Scripture, prayer, and gospel community. We learn to trust God's character through Scripture, prayer, and gospel community. Some of you have heard me say this before, but it it bears repeating. That if we're going to trust God, we have to understand the difference between trust and faith. What is trust? What does it mean? The difference between trust and faith is that trust is when God says, this is going to be the outcome and we believe him for it. I will do this and this will happen and we go, God, I believe this is going to happen. I'm going to keep trudging along because I know the outcome. Faith is when God does not give us an outcome and he says, but you know my character. So you either trust my character or not, but go. And so faith is, I don't know where I'm going, but God, I trust who you are. Okay? When we have faith, we're trusting that God is who he says he is, is going to do what he says he's going to do, regardless of of the fact that it's probably not the way that we would do it, which is a good thing. That's why he's God and we are not. But here's the deal. The opposite of trust and faith is not doubt. The opposite of trust and faith is not doubt. The opposite of trust and faith is control. Why? Because control says, nope, 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 going back to that original problem, God, you're not going to do it well enough. You're not going to do it in my timing. You're not going to do it in the way that I think is best. You're not going to give me what I need. Something's going to fall off. You've got billions of people you're caring for. I'm just a little me here in Burbank. Like, you know, I just got to make sure that I get mine. It's the exact same problem. And when we control, we are now saying, God, you are not good enough. I'm not safe. I'm not cared for. No one's going to look out for me to the level or standard I need, and therefore I need to ensure those things for myself. Control says, God, your timing isn't right. The way you're caring for me isn't right. Your plan isn't right. All of it isn't right. I know best. Or you really don't understand my situation. So I'll just help you out until you can get over here and get this right. Now, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek because none of us would probably say that as bluntly to God, but here's the deal. Our actions say exactly that to the God of the universe every time that we take control. The problem is, in addition to being sin, that control stunts our growth tremendously. Why? Because being out of control is the only way to have true trust. You cannot have trust until you're in a position where that trust can be violated. Right? There's, otherwise, it's not trust. Trust includes the probability or the, 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 the uh, ex, um, not acceptability, the, the, the chance that you may be hurt. So we must live in a place where that is a possibility for us or else it's not truly trust. And control takes that away. And here's the issue. Control usually goes beyond ourselves, and we begin controlling the people around us. And it stunts their growth too. Family, if you're a leader or you're a parent, really good leadership and really good parenting creates spaces for people to make decisions and not get them right. It has to, or else we're not trusting them. We can say, I trust you, right? But if we control the outcome of everything going on, we do not trust them. 
When it comes to people we lead or our children, when we try to control every aspect of their experiences, we deprive them of the opportunity to make healthy mistakes and learn from them. It is hard to watch people make mistakes, right? It's hard to know when to step in, but ultimately we cannot control or we are not building healthy people. When we try to control the how they do things, we're protecting them from mistakes. It comes from a place of love. I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to make the mistakes I did. I don't want them to whatever. But ultimately, we stunt their thinking because they are not allowed to think for themselves. They become people who only think like we do, and then they end up, believe it or not, making the exact same mistakes we do. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, why am I talking? I'm talking about this because I want us to see how dangerous control really is. All sin comes down to control. But ultimately, if we cannot give up control, we harm so many people. And we have to understand, it's not that we need to fix our control. It's we need to fix our faith. Trust is not built by wishing for it. Trust is built by practicing it. I was once going through a really difficult time leading a church that was in a very rough space, and, and I was really dejected. And we had a missionary that we supported. I'll never forget uh, Reg and Nancy Cowie. They were in South Africa. They were amazing. And um, Reg came off the field for some R&R to get some, some rest, and uh, he just watched for a little bit, and he pulled me aside one day, and he goes, Hey, Jared, I just want you to remember something, that great captains are not made great captains in calm seas. Great captains are only made great captains in rough ones. And you're a good captain. You're going to be a great captain, but you have to go through the rough seas. This is where this experience and relationship and trust is built. Trust is only built through relationship and experience with God. Trust only comes when we know God to be trustworthy because we've, he, he's been there. We read and study scripture so that we see how God has worked in all kinds of situations excuse me, situations throughout history. We see his faithfulness across generations. We see God's perfect track record. We have a foundation to trust in who he is and what he's done because we've seen it. We know he keeps doing it. Secondly, we spend time praying. Now, praying is not just asking God for stuff like he's some sort of cosmic ATM, all right? If I say our Father who art in heaven, that's like the first two digits of my code, right? And then, I get my, then God gives me what I need. It doesn't work that way. C- prayer is a conversation, And we, I would posit, probably need to spend a lot more time listening to this conversation. We probably have a more of a one-sided relationship than we realize. But here's the deal. When we spend more time listening in prayer than talking, we realize we're not the heroes of the story. That God is the hero of the story. And when we do that, it makes it so much easier to focus less on ourselves and focus more intentionally on who God is, what God has done, who that makes us, and what we then do. Again, Focusing on God and his consistency, his character, his faithfulness actually allows us to be people of gratitude. Why? Because when you're in the midst of really terrible moments, you can look back and go, God, I don't see any hope. But you know what I do see? Your faithfulness has for thousands of years, you, you've, you've, throughout church history, you've shown us you can do it. You know what? I look back on my own life and you've gotten me through some stuff. You're faithful. You've never let me down. I learned that, God, you and your faithfulness are a sure path to joy for me, and so I can find gratitude even when it doesn't seem like there's a place to find gratitude because you're always worth being grateful for. And lastly, 
We learn to trust through gospel community. Sometimes I still can't see it. You know what I need? I need people like Reg Cowie who came up to me to give me the story about being a captain. Now, Reg was killed in a car accident just a couple weeks after he went back to the field. And so those, that moment for me was, was radically special. I will never forget that. And that one moment helped shape and define how I look at ministry, how I struggle through difficult times. It, it changes my heart to a heart of gratefulness when, when I'm facing really difficult leadership things because I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you sent somebody into my life that I could not see this myself or say this myself, and they helped me look at something, and now when I'm struggling, I go, okay, Lord, this is a part of those seas. You're developing me to be a good captain, and I'm grateful for it. I'm not grateful for my circumstance. Like, I'm not happy with this, but you know what I am? That you're not going to waste it. We see this gospel community throughout today's passage. Let's go back and read it again. Now I hope to Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be encouraged by the news about you. Look at this already in the first sentence. This is already, we're, we're benefiting each other. Already there's our gospel community. I too may be encouraged by the news about you for I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come, also come soon, but I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he had been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was now so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him to you, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. This section of scripture is packed with the beauty of people modeling sacrifice and inconvenient generosity that flows from a true relationship of trust and faith in Jesus. Family, this is exactly what we are striving for. This path to trust is a part of our process of apprenticing Jesus. The path to joy is found in giving away. It's found in inconvenient generosity, which is achieved by trusting in God's character and that we learn to trust God's character through scripture, prayer, and gospel community. Look, it's why we spend so much time talking about our discipleship rhythms here. That we believe this path is walked by worshiping in services, living in groups, learning in studies, and serving in teams. You'll hear it on the announcements. They're all connected to one of these discipleship rhythms in some Way, because this is a part of how we continue to walk this path and apprentice together. The beauty is that none of this is done alone. We get the Holy Spirit in our church family. Amen. Amen. Family, let's pray, and I'm going to offer a benediction for us today. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, we stop to reflect on what you've said through praise and through Scripture. Lord, we express our gratitude for all you're doing in us and through us. As we prepare our hearts to leave, we ask that you would help us to love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. 
May the way we live bring you glory and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. To this community of Christ apprentices, I now pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people continually grow. Go and be the church. Amen.